right. Good morning. Good to see everybody again. I missed y'all last week. So good to be back. I'm so glad that the church was left in such good hands in my absence. I mean, it's always in God's hands, but I mean, Danny preaching last week was just good. It was good, you know, and I was telling the, yeah, y'all go ahead and applaud him for that. Tell him thank you. Until in the early service, I knew this preacher who said uh, whenever he knew that he was going to be gone, he always made sure he got some preachers that he knew weren't very good. And uh, he said that way it just ensured him of his job security. And I thought, that, that's, that's not right. I mean, that, that doesn't care about your church very much. Uh, if I had that attitude, Danny would not be preaching when I'm gone. Because uh, I know he's good. He brought it. I got to hear it. I was down there on the beach, and I actually sent him a text, and I said, um, there's nothing better than sitting on the beach with your toes in the sand, watching the sunrise, and listening to a, a good sermon. And uh, it was good. I had my toes in the water, toes in the sand, listened to a good message with my phone in my hand. You know, it's a, <laughs> change the words to that song there. It was good. Uh, it's good to be back. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. In the last part of this series, two weeks ago, we went through chapter 4, and where Paul talks about the fact that what enables us to be made right with God is faith, believing that Jesus is the only way to be made right with God. We are made right, and it's all God's doing. You know, it wasn't as if God came up with a new way to be saved. We talked about how this is the way it has always been. What made people right even before Jesus is the same thing that makes people right today, faith in the gospel. And we looked at how all that happened then. Now in chapter 5, Paul's going to tell us what that faith gets us. It's not just that we are made right with God, but there are all sorts of blessings and incredible things that come with that. So let's start to look at some of the, these things, Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, if you would stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord today. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let's pray. God, what great and incredible truths and promises that we find in your word this morning. And God, I pray that you would transform our minds with this. Would you sear it into our hearts, God, that it may be something that we're not just merely in agreement with, but something that just uh, moves us in the way that we do our entire lives. The Holy Spirit, would you come and just give us revelation of your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you like garage sales? I like going to them. I'd probably like them a whole lot more if I actually made time to go to them more. Our weekends are usually 
pretty busy. But what's great about garage sales is that not only can you find something at a good deal, something that you want for a good price, there's always a chance that you might stumble upon something that was worth a whole lot more than the people selling it realized. You know, you've heard those stories before, like the guy who bought an ugly $10 painting just because he wanted the frame, and when he went to rip out the painting in that frame, he found an original copy of the Declaration of Independence, or the 50-cent spit tune that happened to be a 14th century Ming Dynasty vase that was worth millions. I love those stories. I guess that's why a lot of people love garage sales, because there's always that chance, isn't there, that you might finally be the one to stumble upon it. Not only can you find a great deal on something that you want, but you might discover something even of more value that you didn't even know was there. And that right there describes the beauty of the gospel. Not only are we made right with God when we are incapable of making ourselves right, but there's a whole lot more that you get discovered that comes with it. That's why I always say the gospel isn't just something that you start with at salvation and then move on to something else. We need to keep on and keep on digging into and exploring this incredible thing called the gospel because there are so many riches and so many treasures to be found in the ramifications of what Christ has done and what it means for us that it is going to take us eternity to discover all those things. So I promise you, we won't even come close to scratching the surface on all of them in this world. And so God has generously given us eternity with him to discover them all. In chapter 5, though, Paul does describe some of these things. Verse 1 is one of them, and it's a classic example of good news invading bad spaces that we talked about at the beginning of this series. Look at it. Again there in verse 1, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news is, and it's the first point if you're following along in the notes there, not only are we made right with God, but we are also at peace with God. Now that isn't really that great a news if you don't know the bad space it invades. And I can probably guess that a lot of you don't really know what bad space that news invades. Because if you did, there would have been some shouting when I just said that. That we have been, there's made peace with God. That is a huge deal. You see, our images and our assumptions of God tend to change over time. I mean, we see God one way when we are initially saved, and then as we get to know him more, our images and perceptions and assumptions of him begin to change in a lot of ways. I mean, that, that's a good thing. In the American church as a whole, our assumptions of God seem to have changed over the centuries uh, as the predominant image of, of what the people have about God. Like before the 20th century, all the way up until around sometime in the 70s, the, the general perception of God was that he was this old bearded man up in the sky looking down on anger for anyone who got out of line that he was just going to zap on the spot. God was this angry, judgmental being. And then the free love movement came in the 60s and 70s, and that kind of messed with the Jesus movement that was happening along that time, and God began to take on this somewhat softer image. 
And that pendulum has continued to swing to that side of things all the way up until recently, where now one of the big uh, assumptions and, and messages of, of who God is is that he's just this warm, cuddly being who loves everyone no matter what. There's no judgment, no condemnation, nothing but love and fairy dust for everyone. But thank God that that pendulum is now beginning to swing back the other way just a bit. I guess people started reading their Bibles. And they have realized that this nothing but love image of God fails to acknowledge some of his other glorious attributes. The truth is when we are in that state of total depravity that exists apart from Christ, our standing before God is actually pretty frightening. It's very frightening. You see, if we have peace with God through Jesus, that means apart from Jesus, we don't have peace with God. We have the exact opposite of peace. Well, what is the opposite of peace? I'm sure there are several words that we could all come up with that would kind of go with the opposite of peace. But there's actually a pretty cool website I found that's simply called oppositeword.com. And you plug in a word there, and in return, it'll tell you all the words that are exact opposite of that. So I plugged in the word peace, and there were four words that came back as being the opposites. And those four words were disagreement, disharmony, fighting, and war. Now, which of those words do you think applies to our standing with God apart from salvation in Jesus? Actually, they all do. All four of them. See, just a few verses down in chapter 5 here, it says that apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. That's a pretty strong word, to be an enemy of God. And the Bible has a few things to say about God's attitude towards his enemies. Don't try to follow along in your Bible here because I'm going to go through these pretty quick. They'll be up on the screen. You can write down the reference and go look at them later if you want to. But Psalm 21, 8 talking to God, and it says, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. Psalm 37, 20, The enemies of the Lord will vanish like smoke. Nahum 1, 2, The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. 1, 8, He will pursue his enemies into darkness. Now, some will say, well, that's Old Testament stuff. I mean, the gospel has now changed things. And yes, the gospel has changed things, no doubt. But it hasn't changed God. You want some New Testament? Okay. 1 Corinthians 15, 25. He will put all his enemies under his feet. Hebrews 10, 13. His enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. Now, I could be wrong. But if someone gets made into a footstool for somebody else, I would say things have not turned out too well for that person. I'm just going to prop my feet up on old Bob here. (laughs) Bob's not in a very good place. No one wants to be a footstool. To those who are considered enemies of God, which Romans 5.10 clearly says that we are apart from Christ, he is not love, peace, and fairy dust to everyone. He is extremely severe. One of those words that was opposite of peace is war. 
Listen to this, Isaiah 31, 4. As the lion or young lion growls over his prey, so will the Lord of hosts come down to wage war. Revelation 19.11 is describing Jesus and it says, And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. This is who God is to all who are outside of the safe haven that is found in Jesus Christ. But that's not what you'll hear in many churches today. You'll hear a lot of the warm fuzzy that everybody is going to get a pass. And if you're here this morning not really buying into yet the whole Jesus is the only way thing, and you think that you're good just as you are on your own merit, believing that God is all love and everyone is going to get a pass in the end regardless of what they believe, I'm telling you this morning you are in for a very frightening awakening The verses I just read, that is the God you are going to have to come face to face with and deal with. And it's not going to end well. Hebrews 10, 30 and 31 says this, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Now listen, the last line says, It is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the bad news. And so I hope you can see how glorious and how exciting and what great news it is that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why that is something we're shouting about. That's something that's worth praising God for, that we now have peace with him. And we are no longer his enemies. Next point. To everyone on earth, God is one of two things. He's either their worst enemy or their greatest ally. And what determines that is one's relationship with Jesus. Verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. I'll talk about this for just a minute. My four children are at the age where their gifts and their passions are starting to become a lot more evident. And as a parent, I mean, we want to encourage our children in their gifts and in their passions if it's done in a healthy way. Maggie loves softball. Braden is really into baseball right now. Savannah plays softball too, but her main passion is basketball. Hope loves to dance, and she was in the big recital last night at the Civic Center, and it was so fun watching her do what she loves to do, and all of them are right now on the swim team. And Carol and I have always said that we were not going to be a family Uh, One of those families that's never at home together because you're always running around between the different practices and recitals and games and all these other things that come with that. We were not going to sacrifice our family on the altar of activities. And so we've told each of our kids that you get one activity to be a part of. None of this. You get basketball and soccer and football all at the same time. You pick one thing and you're going to do that. 
Now, there is some overlap that happens when you come to the end of one season and the beginning of the other. But, but even at that, even with them limited to one activity with four kids, there's still a lot of running around going on. And that, along with the other stuff that Carol and I are involved in with the church, our lives have become pretty busy. And in all this busyness, dang, I did this this morning too. In all this busyness, there is a pull that I'm feeling. And it's a pull that I'm sure many of you who have busy lives can relate to. And it's the pull that Jesus becomes nothing more than an add-on to everything else we do. We try to manage our relationship with him like we manage all these other things. We got ballet on Monday and baseball on Tuesday and Jesus on Wednesday, softball on Thursday. More practice on Friday. Games and swim meets on Saturday. And then Jesus again on Sunday. And we begin to package and schedule him just like we package and schedule everything else in our lives during the week. Instead of him being the ruling sovereign of our lives, he's just another thing. The problem with that, that's not how relationship with Jesus works. He will not, he will not be pushed to the margins. He will not be nothing more than an add-on. He is incapable of being that. Listen, if your version of Christianity is that Jesus is just an addition to other things in your life and has no effect on all these other things, then you are your own God under the false banner of Christianity. You are your own sovereign while just giving lip service to the king of the universe. He cannot be just another thing. He must be the thing that we see and handle and live out all of these other things. It's okay to be involved in sports and other activities as long as you practice and you play and you allow your relationship with Jesus define how you do those other things. How you play and how you practice and and how you do your job. I mean, it's good for young people to learn how to handle victory and how to handle defeat in light of their relationship with Jesus. Your job and your relationship with God cannot be separate activities. Your relationship with God must have everything to do with the way that you do your job. He cannot be something that you just add to Everything else. Our relationship with God cannot be managed like we do everything else in life. He has to be the relationship that wires all other things. This is what I believe Paul is referring to in verse 2 when he says this grace in which we stand. The Greek word that he uses for stand there is the word histemi. It means to make firm, to fix or establish. 
the foundation of a building. The foundation of any building affects everything else about that building. But sadly, in many Christians' lives today, Jesus is nothing more than the window dressing. Last week, of course, we were in Galveston, or Crystal Beach is where we actually were on the Bolivar Peninsula, and pretty much every day we would spend the majority of our time at the beach. And so we would be standing in sand and salt water all day long. What happens if you stand in sand and salt after a while? It's going to get on everything and in everything, (laughs) I promise you, and if you've been down there, you know that every one of those beach houses, they all have an outdoor shower downstairs, so that when you come from the sand and the salt, you can rinse all that stuff off before you go into the house, because if you don't, it's going to end up on everything. We had my four kids there in addition to Carol's sister's two little kids, and, and so there were times where those little ones would neglect to wash themselves off before they went in the house, And they wouldn't get away with it very long because all you had to do is look down at the floor and see little sandy footprints going across. And you would sit on the couch or in the chair and it would be all gritty. And you'd be like, okay, who didn't wash off? Wouldn't be hard to find because you just follow the footprints. I mean, the beach is fun to visit every now and then, but I wouldn't want to stand in it all the time. One week is about as much sand and salt as I can stand Because it does get on everything. That's how a lot of Christians treat their relationship with God. They like to visit it every now and then on Wednesdays and Sundays. But they don't want it getting all over everything else during the week. And as a result, that relationship doesn't affect anything. Next point. The way to know if you are standing in grace is if it affects everything else. If who you are in Christ doesn't affect the way that you do your job, you're not standing in it. If it's something that you compartmentalize like everything else, you're not standing in it. To stand in grace means that the grace that you have been given in Jesus affects Everything else that you are involved in and everything else that you do, it affects your relationships with others. Young people, I'm telling you, in your dating relationships right now, are you standing in the grace? Standing in grace means it has an effect on the way that you date, on the way that you treat your girlfriend, on the way that you treat your boyfriend. If, If your relationship with God has nothing to do with your dating relationship, then it's just an add on. He can't be an add-on. He has to fuel everything. He's not reserved just for certain days of the week and certain situations in life. Just like you stand in salt all day, Jesus is going to get all over everything if you're standing in him. Rest of verse 2 says, And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Exult means to take pride in or to get, it, to get excited about. We get excited about the hope that we have because of what Jesus has done. He's going to talk about this hope a little more in just a second. Verse 3, and not only this, he's saying there's more. 
There's more to what you just think you got at salvation. And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Now, I know that that's the verse that really gets everybody excited, right? One of your favorite verses in the Bible, right up there with James 1-2. It says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Actually, that's what most people call the most annoying verses in the Bible. <laughs> Ones we kind of roll our eyes about, joy and trouble. Here we go. It doesn't have to be that way, though. You know, I don't know of any other religion that says the followers of that religion can have joy in the middle of their trials and exult in tribulation. Christianity is the only one that makes that claim. Why is that? And how, how can we do that? How do we exult in our tribulation? Well, the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we're standing in grace. Because remember, standing in grace means that it affects everything. And everything even includes the trials and tribulations that we go through. Let's look at this in the whole context here. Okay, so standing in grace means that my relationship with God affects everything. And verse 1 said that one aspect of this relationship is that I am at peace with God. I'm no longer his enemy. If I'm no longer his enemy and I'm at peace with him and he is my greatest ally now and my loving father, then I can trust that my life is in his hands. And so whatever he allows in my life to come at me will not be something that's for my destruction. It has got to be something now for my good because I am now at peace with him. If I'm God's enemy, then I've got good reason to fear whatever tribulation is going to come at me. But if I'm at peace with him, there is nothing that God will allow that won't be for my ultimate good and his ultimate glory. I mean, do you realize that if you truly believe that, how much fear and anxiety that would prevent in our lives? That's why 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. If you're in Christ, you're in God's perfect love, and so there is no reason for you to fear anything. Does that mean bad things aren't going to happen? No, not at all. Bad things are going to happen. It just means that you don't have to fear them when they come because you're at peace with God now, and everything he does is going to be for your ultimate good and his ultimate glory. Now, just watch how the rest of this flows along here. Next line, he says, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That is, if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, there's no guarantee that the tribulation you're going through is going to bring about perseverance. Now, this may sound strange at first, but after studying this and, and reading this text here, I can see that one of the reasons that God allows tribulation to come into our life is to reassure us of our salvation in him. What do I mean about that? The Bible teaches that those who are saved will persevere in the faith to the end. John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples. And then in Matthew 10, 22, he said, he who endures to the end will be saved. In Colossians 1.22, Paul says that we will be presented holy and blameless before God, provided that you continue in the faith. 
Hebrews 3, 14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance to the end. Those who are genuinely saved and not just going through the religious motions will not be swayed from their faith in God when hard times come. You just won't. I've known Christians or people who have said, I used to be a Christian, but then this traumatic event happened or a a close loved one died or something like that. And so I'm not a Christian anymore because I just don't see how a a loving God could allow that to happen. Well, if that's the case, they were not a Christian to begin with. Because it says, if you are truly saved, you will persevere to the end. It's not, if you are saved, you better persevere It's that if you are saved, you will. You will. And so at times I believe God will use tribulation in our life to assure us that yes, you are mine. Yes, you will not escape out of my hands. Nothing is going to separate you from me. I just want you to assure you in that. That's why I'm allowing you to go through this. When we face that tribulation, unmoved from our faith and our reliance upon God, if we can even go so far as to exult in our tribulation because we are standing on grace and it's affecting everything, then we can rest assured that, yes, we are secure in the loving hands of God forever. My son, Braden, in in baseball, he plays pretty much every position on the infield except for catcher. Well, one practice, he decided that he, he wanted to try catcher. And so he put on the catcher's gear, and he got behind the plate. And every time a ball came and, w- and would land short, he'd just have that natural reflex of turning his head. It's, we all would do if the ball was about to bounce up towards our face, we're going to turn it. But I told him, I said, boy, you got a face mask on. Quit turning your head. That's what that mask is for. But another pitch fell short, and he turned his head again. And so I walked up, and I picked up a baseball and said, hey, look at me. He looked at me, and I just went, boom. I just chunked a ball and hit him square in the face in that mask. Scared him to death at first, but then he laughed about it because he realized that I was right. That mask is going to protect his face. He doesn't have anything to be uh, afraid of. Now, seeing his dad throw a hard ball hard at his face, Braden went through a small tribulation there for a moment. (laughs) And I could see it in his eyes. But going through that assured him of the safety of the mask and that he could trust his father. It was true what I said. So that's the way I believe God will at times use tribulation to assure us that we are safe in him. If we weren't really saved, we wouldn't be able to persevere. Tribulation would not lead to perseverance. Verse 4, and perseverance proven character. Our character in Jesus is proven when we go through that tribulation unmoved in our faith. And I just love this next part. And proven character, hope. Now this isn't hope as in the wishful thinking that we usually define hope as. It's not, you know, I hope I'm saved or I hope I go to heaven when I die. No, the definition of this kind of hope is there, the next thing in your notes there. It means confident assurance. I know that I know. There's not a chance I'm going to be wrong at this at all. 
this is going to happen. You know, the way that we usually think of hope, it's, it's as if there's always in the back of our minds, there's this little chance that it's not going to happen. There's this chance that we're going to end up disappointed. But look at verse 5. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That right there is one of the strongest texts in my mind that supports the security of the believer. That if you are saved, there's no way to lose that salvation. I mean, I've known so many people who just lived in in so much fear and anxiety, believing that they can lose their salvation at any moment if they just said the wrong thing or took the wrong step. They're living in anxiety, hoping, but not really sure. There's still this chance that when they die, they've done something wrong and they're not going to make it, that they're going to fall short. What a miserable way to live that has got to be. And I've actually seen people set free from that and seen the truth of God and it has completely changed their life. And they were like, that was so miserable for me. But now I'm so free in the security that I have in Christ. And this right here says that if you know and you trust that Jesus is the only way for you to be made right and your relationship with him affects everything else and it causes you to not be moved whenever hard times comes, then you will not be disappointed in the end. This is a promise of the word of God that will come to pass. You will not be disappointed. Through faith in Jesus, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts, and perfect love casts out fear. Last point. Not only are we made right with God now, but we are secure in that for eternity. Next week, we're going to continue to find out even some more things that come with this salvation that we have. And it just gets better. Let's pray. God, what an amazing thing it is and we discover just yet another and another thing that we have in you. God, how silly it is for us to think that we could do anything on our own apart from you. And God, if there are people in here this morning who have thought that they are good on their own, I pray with your Holy Spirit you would open their eyes up to see the error of that and the lie that that is. And they will see that the only way for their salvation is to trust in in your son Jesus. And God, I pray for those of us in here who have felt that pull that I was talking about earlier. God, who can identify with that. That life gets so busy that you become nothing more than just an add-on. And we manage our relationship with you like everything else. God, I pray, Lord, today we'd be able to lay that down and, and not let that happen anymore. But Jesus, you would be the center and the motor of everything else. Lord, we repent of making you nothing more than window dressing. We repent of not letting you be our foundation but you being just another thing. God, we want you to be the thing 
that drives all other things. So God, I pray that your love would just fall down on this place right now. God, that those who may be your enemies in here today, that your grace and your love would draw them to you right now, seeing that you have provided a way for them to be safe, to, to have peace with you. God, this time is yours, and we just lay it before you and ask you to have your way. Let your will be done in our hearts right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.